Uh, and what we're going through right now, it's a Lenten season. Uh, we're getting closer and closer to Easter. And the Lenten tradition, uh, as we go through it, the, the tradition of Lent is to get, uh, to kind of strip away everything as we get closer and closer to Easter day, to strip away um, parts of ourselves until there's nothing left but you and Jesus by the time you get to Easter. Uh, there's a phrase in Lent, it gets darker and it's become common. It gets darkest before the dawn. Uh, the idea of Lent is to uh, get darker and darker and darker um, as we await more and more and more just how much God is going to break through for us on Easter Sunday. Uh, that's kind of the idea behind Lent. And today we are diving into uh, what is probably the darkest of the dark. Today we are talking about Judas. Um, Judas Iscariot. Um, I'm going to read our inspiration uh, and then pray for us and then we'll dive in. Our inspiration today comes from Matthew 26, this is verses 17 through 25. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus. They said, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, well, go into the city, find a certain man, and say to him, the teacher says, my time's at hand. I'll keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did just as Jesus directed them. They prepared the Passover. Now when it was evening... He reclined at the table with the twelve. As they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful. They began to say to him, one after the other, Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? And he answered, He who has dipped his hand in this dish with me, he's the one who will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it was written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he'd never been born. Then Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, Well, you said so. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, I pray in this time, Lord, I just think about that song, So Will I, God. You said, You are the God who took away a hundred billion failures. God, uh, you are the one who left the grave behind. I pray, Lord, that today uh, we would be able to, to face those failures, give them to you, and leave them behind. God, I pray as you take us into the darkest dark, I pray, Jesus, you would show us that your hope is that much stronger. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, today, uh, again, we're talking about Judas Iscariot. Uh, and uh, it's really easy when you give a sermon on Judas. Uh, we were talking about people uh, who we wanted to talk about as we were doing this connection series, uh, people we wanted to, to talk about uh, as we got closer and closer to Lent, and the name Judas came up, and my first reaction was, oh, heck no. Uh, my second reaction was, that probably means I need to. Um, see, see, there's a really easy thing for a pastor to do when, when we talk about Judas. Uh, there's two really easy sermons, both of which are incredibly wrong to give. Uh, the first is a don't do what Judas did sermon. It's very easy. He's one of the darkest characters in human history, much less in scripture. He betrayed the incarnate God. You, you don't get much worse than that. But on the flip end, uh, it's really, really easy to uh, look at Judas and try and make excuses for him. Well, he didn't understand. Well, he didn't really get it. Uh, and, and those two kind of things today, what I want to do, instead of doing one of those, I don't want to give a don't be Judas sermon. I also don't want to give a well, it's okay to be Judas' sermon. What I want to give you today is how Jesus looks at Judas. I want us to catch a God-sized view, a Jesus-sized view of Judas. 
Now, as we go into that, uh, there's something I, I want. I want to give us a little bit of context into what we actually know historically about Judas. There's only four things that all the Gospels and all of the histories all agree on for Judas. There's plenty of uh, history and tradition and mythology around that, but there's four things, only four things, that everyone agrees on. The first is this. Judas was chosen by Jesus. He was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Uh, and, and when we say that, that's not a casual term. That's really important. See, it means that out of everyone that ever followed Jesus, Jesus looked at Jesus and he says, hey, I want you to be one of the 12 guys who I impart everything to. I want to give you, I want to eat with you, I want to sleep in the same building, if not in the same room as you. I, I want to uh, work with you, I want to mentor you, I want to pray over you, I want to pour my life into you. I want to have you work under me, I want to teach you everything I know. And he gave that kind of difference to Judas. And Judas spent years living with Jesus. We forget about that, but there was years of history between them. He was chosen by Jesus. He was one of the twelve. The second thing we know about Judas for a fact is that his name was associated with the term Iscariot. He was known as Judas Iscariot or Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Now, they didn't have last names back then, so it's really important if you see a double name in, the, in Scripture, like, for example, Jesus Christ, that's not Jesus' last name. Those are titles, those are titles given to him. The title Iscariot uh, was associated with some ancient Jewish assassins. They were very violent. They were known for desiring insurrection against the Romans. And, and so this is what we know about Judas. We don't know Judas if Judas was actually one of the assassins or if he left that life behind him, if he was a part of that but then left it behind him. Uh, if it, was, it says his father was one, so maybe it was his family history. But he came from this dark, violent history of assassinations. That's the second thing we know. All the disciples had some kind of baggage. That was Judas's. The third thing we know about Judas historically is that he at some point betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. For 30 pieces of silver, that was the exchange. Uh, he was willing to uh, betray Jesus over to the Sanhedrin, the, the religious leaders of the day who had turned against Jesus. And after this decision, the fourth thing we know about him is that he was so guilt-ridden over this choice, he attempted to get rid of the silver when he couldn't even get rid of it. Uh, he, before Resurrection Sunday, before Easter, and it's really important to remember this, before Easter, Judas decided to end his life. He, he committed suicide. Those are the four things. That's all we know about Judas. Those are the four things we know. That's it. And I want to give us some context as we look into this character. I don't want to just look at this random figure, this random, again, demonized or excused being. I want us to look at Judas as best we can as a human being in his fullness. Those are the four things we know about him in context. Today we're calling the sermon series, or we're calling the sermon, All of the Pieces. And I called it that because today I want us to just look at, at as many pieces as we can of this story and as many pieces of the puzzle for why Judas chose 30 pieces of silver over Jesus. And then I want us to look at Jesus' response to that. So today we're going to look at, at the four points every single gospel narrative has a point where Judas decides to betray Jesus. They all are, are telling the same story, but they're telling it from a different lens. And what they're trying to do is give us a glimpse, give us a piece of that puzzle for who Judas really was and also why, what motivated him, what was going on in his soul and his heart and his situation that drove him to betray God incarnate. And I think it's really important for us as we begin to look at him that we begin to dive into that first. So the meat of today, that's what we're going to be diving into. The first uh, 
story that I want us to, to hear is from Matthew's perspective, the Gospel of Matthew. Now, if you don't know anything about Matthew, uh, Matthew is a Jewish author. Uh, he's either Matthew, the, the disciple of Jesus, or he's Matthew, uh, someone who is a friend of some of the uh, disciples of Jesus, who is writing down Jesus' story, and he's writing it uh, specifically to a Jewish audience. He's trying to say, hey, Jesus was your Jewish Messiah, but he died and he resurrected for the whole world. Jesus was a Jewish Messiah for the whole world. And so he's writing to this Jewish audience. So as he writes the story, take that into account. Uh, Our story's in Matthew 26, verses 6 through 16. It might sound a little familiar to some of y'all. Now when Jesus was at Bethany... In the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment. She poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. They said, why this waste? This could have been sold for a large sum. It could have been given to the poor. But Jesus, who was aware of what they were saying, said to them, why are you troubling this woman? For she has done a beautiful thing for me. You've always got the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she's done this to prepare me for burial. Truly, I, se- I tell you, wherever my gospel is proclaimed, wherever my gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she's done will also be told in memory of her. We gave a ser- there was a sermon a few weeks ago, Craig preached on, on the relationship between Jesus and this woman. And that's a beautiful, incredible place to stop this story if we're focusing in on the relationship between Jesus and this woman, but it's not actually where the story ends. The narrative itself keeps going. It says this, Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, he went to the chief priests and he said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now again, Matthew is writing to a specifically Jewish audience. He's got this in mind. And what... Uh, Matthew and all of his audience would have known is this. Uh, it's incredibly inappropriate what this woman did. It's incredibly inappropriate what this woman did. Uh, a, a dining table, when it says that the men were reclining at the table, that's a men's space in the ancient world. Uh, women weren't allowed in that. It would be like a men's locker room or a men's bathroom. You don't go in there. That's just awkward. Maybe if you're the cleaning lady, maybe if you're serving the meal, you could come in in between conversations, but that conversation is meant to be amongst men. Just like the changing nowadays in in our world, we say changing clothes. You keep that with the guys. You don't want girls to be in the room when that happens. You don't want women to be in the room when the conversation's happening. So this woman barges in in the middle of the conversation. It's incredibly inappropriate. Then she pours out this incredibly expensive perfume. It would have been at least a year's wages. $40,000, $50,000, $60,000. She just pours it over his head. She just dunks him. There goes $60,000, just done, down the drain. And then, and this is the the weirdest part, uh, some of the accounts of this narrative say that she unbraided her hair. It's not talked about as much in in Matthew, but I want to point this out. Some say that she unbraids her hair and she begins to wipe Jesus down because she doesn't have a cloth to wipe him down with. When a woman unbraided her hair, it would have been kind of like putting on a, a swimsuit or, or a sports bra. Again, it, it's not so gro- gross or weird that the men would have walked out the room, but that's awkward. Some of the men who are like a little bit more like me with girls, we would have gotten blo- we would have blushed. It's a, it's a little, it's a little, and she's, so I want you to get this image in your mind when you're reading this story. 
This is what Matthew's saying. This woman, and I'm going to give a modern day equivalent. She walks into, into the locker room and Jesus is with his disciples in the locker room. She takes off this incredibly expensive clothing until she's got nothing but a sports bra on because she doesn't have a towel. And she begins to waste the $60,000 trying to clean him up. It's awkward. It's incredibly inappropriate. And then Jesus says this in response. Remember this woman. Thank you so much. He says, thank you so much. Then he says, remember this woman. Whenever you talk about me, whenever you associate with me, whenever you give my gospel, remember this woman who did this incredibly awkward but authentic act of worship because it was all she knew how to do. It was all she had. And what Matthew is pointing out is this. Judas was respectable. Judas saw this incredibly awkward but incredibly authentic act of worship and he just he kind of had it. That was it. That was too much. That was too weird, Jesus. I, I just I can't do that. And he went to the religious leaders. He went to the Pharisees who were rich, who were well-off, who were respectable, who were very good and religious. And he said, hey, what will you give me? See, see what this woman wanted was to worship Jesus authentically. What Judas wanted was to be respectable, to be honored within his culture. To, yes, be with Jesus, or yes, be religious, but he wanted respect. And, and a lot of us, if we're being honest, want this. We come to church, but we're scared to actually sing because someone might hear our voice and it's not perfect. We're scared to raise our hands. or, or to, If we're being moved by, by the worship, we, we get a little bit worried about what other people are thinking. We're scared to come to prayer, even in our Bible studies or with our friends. We're scared to share what's really going on. We're scared to really ask for prayer. We're scared to really authentically worship Jesus because we're worried about being respectable. That's what Matthew says is what drove Judas to betray Jesus. He was respectable. The the second uh, narrative we get is from Mark. Now, Mark gives the exact same story in Mark 14. It's almost the exact same narrative. I'm not going to read it again because it's almost word for word the same. But Mark, he's a meat meat and potatoes kind of guy. Mark's gospel is about half the size of the other's. Because Mark is just saying, these are the facts. This is what happened. And when he's looking at just what happened, uh, the only thing that Mark changes about the story from Matthew is this. He says, hey, uh, he actually names the price. He says, hey, this wasn't just an expensive jar of nard. This was 300 plus denarii. That would have been the equivalent of seventy, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 in our day. He ups the ante. He says, hey, it's about the money. This is ridiculously expensive. And when he describes what the woman does, he doesn't say that she just pours it. He says she breaks it over his head. It's gone. It's done. She throws $80,000 away on Jesus just like it was nothing. And it was something for her. And it says Judas looked at this. He runs to the Jewish leaders and he says, hey, what will you pay me? What will you pay me to betray him, to turn him over to you? See, what Mark is saying is, hey, on some level, Judas was just practical. Judas was just looking at the money. Judas was just looking at the fact that Jesus and his ministry had just received an $80,000 gift, and they just gave it away. They broke it. They just wasted it. And and, and these religious leaders at least understood how to practically reserve what was given. Judas wanted to protect the resources that were given him. He wanted to protect his gifts. But Jesus was calling for devotion, and devotion at some point, in some way, it doesn't mean it's impractical, but devotion 
at some point, it hurts us. If we're really being devoted to someone, if we're really worshiping Jesus in devotion, it's going to cost us at some point. It's going to be a little wasteful. Something that I love about our church, and, and I'm going to brag uh, on our church and our leadership board, not on myself because I was not in the meeting when this happened, but, but on the leadership board and, and, and on Pastor Craig, uh, we recently received a, a really beautiful gift. And over the next couple of weeks, you're, you're going to be hearing more about this, but we received this really beautiful uh, financial gift. And Pastor Craig and the leadership board's first response was, okay, how can we write a check to get, like, where can we bless another ministry? How can we give this away? Not how can we care about our own community. We're going to keep caring for our community, but we're going to do it sacrificially. How, not how can we build up the building or build up the resources. We're, we're not the biggest church. We're not made of money. But the first response was devotion. How can we empower other ministries? How can we give what we've been given away in devotion? And that's what Jesus was calling for. And, and Judas saw this and he just couldn't. He couldn't reconcile it. He ran to the religious leaders. He said, man, practically, I, I, need, some, I need some change. What, 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 what will you pay me? The third account we get is from Luke. Luke's completely different. Luke has nothing to do with any story. Uh, Luke's is in, uh, point is in chapter 22. It's like three verses. Uh, Luke, if you don't know, Luke was the first Pentecostal. Uh, he literally wrote about Pentecost. Uh, he loved all the crazy spiritual stuff. He loved the Holy Spirit. He loved talking about exorcisms. He literally wrote about Pentecost, uh, speaking in tongues, all the crazy stuff. I come from a charismatic background, so me and Luke, we, we get along. Um, uh, all the crazy stuff. We get excited. Um, uh, and Luke has a very different view of what drives Judas to betray Jesus. It's very simple for Luke. It's very spiritual for Luke. He just says this. Uh, this is ver- chapter 22, verses 3 through 6. He says, hey, when Satan entered Judas, his, his name was called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve, Satan entered Judas. It's his thing. He w- went away, he conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray Jesus to them. And they were glad, and they agreed to give him money. So he consented, and he sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Luke points this out. Hey, in some sense, in some sense, whatever sense that is, Judas didn't even wait for the money. In, in Luke's perspective, Judas had already made his decision. And his decision wasn't one uh, uh, in response to some situation. It wasn't in response to Jesus. It wasn't in response to anything. It was literally just a spiritual decision. At some level, Judas started listening to his darkness. Again, his last name was Iscariot. He had some serious darkness in his past. He had some serious spiritual stuff there that was warring inside of him along with the Holy Spirit of God that was, that was also calling to him and Jesus who was calling to him and Jesus who was walking alongside him. And at some point, Judas just started to listen to the wrong voice. And, and we do this. If we're being honest, uh, we have this struggle inside of us too. See, Judas's last name is Iscariot. Uh, what a lot of biblical scholars, not all of them, but a lot of them think on some level or in some way, especially Luke is pointing this out when he says that Judas went to them before accepting money. The money was just icing on the cake for Judas. Uh, what a lot of people think is that because Judas was associated with his, the Iscariots, Judas just thought that Jesus actually was going to survive this. What Judas really thought, at least what, what a lot of these biblical scholars think, 
It is, he'd seen Jesus calm storms with a word. He'd seen Jesus walk on water. He'd seen Jesus feed thousands of people. He'd seen Jesus cast out demons after demons after demons. This guy had power. This guy was supernaturally uh, all-powerful. And, and moreover, he was calling himself Messiah, King. And what Judas probably thought, at least some scholars think, is that if we put Jesus in a life-or-death situation— if we really force it, if, if we force these uh, Jewish leaders who are just incredibly bad for our nation, if we force uh, these uh, Romans who are against our people to put Jesus on trial, what Jesus is going to do, he's going to beat them all. He's going to blow them away, and then he's going to be king. It's going to be great. There's a lot of truth in that thought, right? Jesus really was king. He really was that powerful. He really could have done it. In a way, he really did. He outlived the Pharisees. His kingdom outlived Rome. We're here today worshiping the name of the most famous person in all of history, and his name is Jesus Christ. There's a lot of truth in that lie, but it was still a lie. And this is what Luke is pointing out. He's saying, hey, at some point, Judas started to listen to that darkness. Judas started to listen. He let, he let Satan in. He started to listen to that darkness instead of the Holy Spirit. And that darkness twisted a lot of truth into a very, very good lie. The best lies are the ones that are closest to the truth. And, and that is what Luke is pointing out. It was a spiritual betrayal more than anything else. Lastly, our, our last view, our last piece of this puzzle comes from John. And John, uh, John was like Judas. He was another one of the disciples. He walked alongside Jesus. And he also walked alongside Judas. And this is what John has to say. He goes back to that anointing moment. He has a couple different things going on, so maybe it was the same moment, maybe it was a different one, but he still has this anointing moment. In chapter 12, he says this, Hey, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead, was living. They gave a dinner for him there. Martha served the dinner, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. Then Mary took a pound of expensive ointments made from Cunard. She anointed his feet, and she wiped his feet with her hair. Same thing. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, who was about to betray him, he said, why this ointment? Why wasn't it sold for 300 denarii? Was, why wasn't it given it to, to the poor? He said this. I want to focus on this. He said this. Not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. See, John walked with Judas for a long time. He was, they were in the same Bible study. They were in the same ministry. They were in the same church. They hung out with the same mentors. They hung out with the same crowd constantly for years. And what John is pointing out is, hey, in some way, shape, or form, this was really about Judas and his own problems, his own stuff, that little part of him that was in charge of the money bag and just helped himself to it every once in a while. This was a small problem. It wasn't enough for him to get fired. No one took the money back from him. It wasn't enough for Jesus to not forgive him. It wasn't enough for things to stop. But at some point, in some way, this very little part of Judas that he thought was okay, this little sin, this little hidden thing that no one really knew about or no one really confronted him about, became this enormous drive that eventually caused him to betray Jesus. And what John is saying is this, hey, Jesus was always concerned with wealth and power. He was always concerned with his own. Jesus always wanted to give it away. And Jesus was always calling him 
to surrender that to him. We all have that. There's all, in each and every one of us, there's, there's parts of us that, that have sinned that we haven't turned over to the Lord. There's in each and every one of us some places where God hasn't taken us yet or where he's calling us into and we haven't yet let him in. And what John is saying is this, hey, these small things that we allow to happen, that, that we just allow to happen, not that we struggle against, not that we war against, not that we journey through with Jesus, but that we just allow to just be brushed under the rug. Those little sins... I mean, they can have enormous consequences. And they did for Judas. That was what drove him. But today, I don't want us to just focus on Judas and on his betrayal. I want us to more importantly focus on how Jesus responds to this. I think it's inc- incredibly important that we remember, that we remember what Jesus chooses to do in response to this. First and foremost, again, remember, Jesus chooses Judas. He chooses him. He says, hey, live with me, follow me, let me pour everything I have to you, even though I know you're going to betray me. Even though I know. That's what John puts the emphasis on when he's giving that same Passover dinner. We're talk- we were talking about the Passover dinner. In that narrative, in John, John says, hey, Jesus knows exactly what he's going to do. And he looks at him and he says, hey, friend, if you have to do this, do it. I still choose you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to stop you. I still choose you. And in that we can see another thing, that Jesus still loves Judas. Jesus still loves Judas. He calls him friend, even as he's going off to betray him. He still calls him friend. That's incredibly important for us. Whether we are betrayed by someone in the same way, whether we have Judases in our own life, whether we realize that we are all in some way, shape, or form Judas to Jesus, we've all done that. We've all betrayed him. We've all chosen one of those four things to be practical, to, to be respectable, to have our own, uh, to, to listen to the wrong voice. We've all done that at some point. We've all been Judas to Jesus, and we've all had that done to us as well. And this is our response. This is Jesus' response to, to the treachery of humanity. He says, hey, I choose you. I love you. And then here's the most important part, and here's what I want us to see most. Uh, We brought it up at the beginning. The last thing we know for a fact about Judas' life, the very last thing, is that Judas gave up before Easter Sunday. He died before Easter Sunday. But Jesus died and resurrected for Judas. And this is where we find the hope in Judas. This is where the real tragedy is. This is why I think Jesus looked at Judas as he was going off to betray him and said, for you, because of what you're about to do, it really would have been better if you'd never been born. It wasn't because Jesus hated him. It wasn't because Jesus was going to throw him into hell. It was not because Jesus was so hurt. He was. This was one of his best friends. This is one of his mentors. This was like almost a son or a little brother to him. It was. But why Jesus said this was really going to be such a tragedy is because Judas was not going to hold out till Resurrection Sunday. In the places in your life where you've betrayed Jesus, in the places in your life where you think you're the reason he's on the cross, remember this. Remember what Jesus said to Pontius Pilate right before he died. No one takes my life from me. Not even Judas. Judas didn't take Jesus' life away. You 
have not taken Jesus' life or Jesus' plans or Jesus' hopes for you away. He gave it of his free will. He died for you. His death is more than enough and he chose it. And much more importantly, he beat that death to say, this is who I am, this is how much I love you. And you can still know me if you want. And that's where I want us to end, looking at Judas. Yes, we need to recognize the sin that drove him, the sins that drive us to betray Jesus. But so much more importantly, today I pray that we cling to that. That Jesus still chooses us in the midst of our betrayal. Even as we go off to betray him, he is still saying, friend, friend, do what you must. Even in the midst of our choices, he loves us enough even to let us choose them. He still is loving us. And most importantly, most importantly, he died and he resurrected for us. Hold on for your resurrection. Hold on for your resurrection. Let me pray for us. Jesus, uh, we thank you, God, that even in the midst of our darkness, even in the midst of our darkest darkness, even in the midst of our betrayal and our treachery, you still choose us and you love us. You died for us. You resurrected for us. I pray, God, that we would recognize the fullness of that and its full implications. God, I pray, Lord, uh, that we would hold out for our Easter Sunday. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.